in the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Take a shot downfield. And it is held in by Bryce Bobo. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. There's a snap. snap. It's by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it. It is loose, and it is picked up by Jacob Callier. Callier's got it to the four-yard line. A turnover, and the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Welcome into Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, we have a sponsor for this week's show. Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Gorman Recruiting, specializing in the unique needs of small and medium businesses. Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you are hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at GormanRecruiting.com. That's G-O-R-M-A-N Recruiting.com. Let's jump into this show, Tyler, and rehash the UCLA game a little bit here. Obviously a disappointing result does this put them, and, and I hate this term, it's overused in sports, but you're 0-2 in conference play. You maybe are worried about losing in the locker room if you keep going down this this path. It, does this Saturday's game against Arizona become a must win for you? I mean, yeah, I think so for two reasons. And it's not really that they're 0-2. It's that they're playing a Pac-12 South opponent and you're trying to keep yourself relevant in the race there. And Arizona's not that great. I mean, if we were playing, you know, Washington again this week, for example, or maybe USC. Like, yes, it would. You know, you obviously want them. You don't want to go down zero and three, but it's not as realistic. You can't be losing to Arizona at home. I think it's really just as simple as that. Yeah, what we're going to get into some the, the UCLA game a little bit more. What what was your general your main takeaway as you kind of try to digest that football game? Uh it was pretty much the script. I thought. I mean, we had opportunities to win the game. Um, didn't have any turnovers, which is obviously an improvement over what we've seen so far. Uh, Montez, I thought, played great. A couple key, you know, misses, and that's how football goes. You know, two drops in the end zone. Uh, a couple plays defensively that we could have had that didn't we didn't pick up. And uh, I didn't think we did a good enough job on third down, especially defensively. Um, and, you know, Josh Rosen made some unbelievable throws under pressure. I think it's really just as simple as that. You knew he had a chance to take him to – you know, take them where they needed to go. They were at home. It was a close game. I think that's a game we probably find a way to get if it's in Boulder. So I I don't know if it necessarily tells us a whole lot about Colorado moving forward. From the beginning, we said these teams are pretty evenly matched. They had, they had the game at home and found a way to win it in the end. I think it's, you know, you don't need to look into it too much farther than that. Again, we'll talk more about this UCLA game and, of course, look ahead to the Arizona game, but I think we should go much further in this show uh, before sending out thoughts and prayers with Darren Cheverini and his family. Uh, he lost his brother-in-law, Chris Roybal, uh, who was in Vegas celebrating his 29th birthday. He had served a tour in Afghanistan while in the Navy. And then Darren's wife lost one of her best friends, Hannah Ellers. Hopefully I didn't mispronounce her last name there. She's a 34-year-old mother of three. They have GoFundMe pages set up for both of those, and I think you can find them if you, you, you search Darren Cheverini's Twitter account. I think he sent out links to that. So and what do you even say, Tyler? There isn't really much to say. I mean, one of mine and Amy's really close friends was at that concert, yeah. too. Um, so we, the next morning was a little stressful trying to find him. He's fine, luckily. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy that we have to continue to have this conversation, it seems like, every year now. I don't know what else needs to happen for things to change in this country, but it's uh, frustrating to say the very least. Obviously, it's devastating for those that are involved and pretty, I mean, it should be devastating to everybody. I mean, I don't think you can really feel safe anywhere these days, can you? Yeah, no, I mean, 
yeah, I don't know. I just don't know where you go from here, honestly, besides making sweeping changes. I just don't know how realistic that is or even really how you go about it. I think that's the most difficult part. Yeah, we better stay away from, you know, politics and all that stuff, the gun control stuff, but and get back to football here. But but certainly sad. And again, uh, thoughts with Darren Shevery and his family. I, he was at Wednesday's practice. It sounds like he's going to be on the sideline Saturday. But uh, certainly, as McIntyre said a couple times, it really puts things in perspective here. But uh, this is a podcast about football, so we got to jump back into that. Uh, it's interesting, after every game that CU loses, there's an emotional outpouring that night that crosses the line quite a bit, but I, I kind of understand that. It's a, as a fan, you're going to sometimes let the emotions take over. And then as the week progresses, it seems like there's more and more intelligent back and forth. But there's always a couple tweets sent my way after losses that just absolutely make me cringe. And I, and I got to call out a couple of these. After the game ended, my, the first tweet I see on my phone, and if you have kids in the car, put, put earmuffs on them. I get a tweet that says, Montez fucking sucks. Didn't even give his team a chance on the Hail Mary. Why can't we get a quarterback? I mean, did you watch the football game? Aside from the Oregon game in which his receivers made great plays for him, I, you can make an argument the UCLA game was his best performance as a buff. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's kind of hard to put the ball any more perfectly than he did on a lot of balls in this game. And if we catch those two passes in the end zone, we win. We don't need a Hail Mary. So I don't know how you put that on Montez. I mean, yes, ideally you would like to throw a Hail Mary pass into the end zone. I I understand that, but made a few plays to even get us there. And at some point, somebody else has to make a play. You know, saying something like that is just a joke, honestly. Like, I understand being frustrated. We've all been there, but yeah, that's... You just don't know what you're watching if that's what you come out of that game with. It's called a Hail Mary for a reason. If you're going to criticize a quarterback for a failed Hail Mary attempt, <laughs> probably stop watching football or at least commenting on it. <laughs> um, I, I have seen this criticism, and I, I do agree with it. That On that last play, he throws it out of the back of the end zone. It shows you that they should have taken two chances at it instead of throwing that out. What was that about, a 10-yard gain? Yeah, and I think there were seven seconds left when they... So they could have they could have had two shots at it, right? Well, not that hail marys, but you could have gone farther down the field. Yeah, I mean you're not getting a hail mary in, in less than seven seconds, probably. But another interesting take I saw was this: it goes Mac 2.0 struggling to find any rhythm without Levitt. CU went full. He used the R word. I'm not going to use that word here. Extending him after one good season since Utah three and four, and those three victories were not anything memorable. First off. Two of those losses are the Pac-12 championship game and a bowl game. McIntyre is the one that built the program up to get into those games. And yeah. certainly you can criticize them. They laid an egg in those games. So, I'm not, you know, excusing their performance in those games, but... Right. I mean, sure. They lost to three teams that are ranked in the top ten. I mean, like, okay, we weren't supposed to be a top ten team last year. Um, and then we lost a road game to a team that's going to be bowl eligible most likely so I mean I don't know yes you would like to have found a way to get maybe UCLA but how realistic is it to beat Washington either of those years in Oklahoma State when both your starting corners are hurt I mean obviously they didn't show up to that game and they didn't care to be there but I mean they had a I personally didn't think they should have made the Rose Bowl but um, they had an argument to be there and if you don't get in you know that takes a toll on you too it's just crazy to me so he's just never allowed to lose now so McIntyre were good. even his new salary is middle of the Pac-12 in terms mm-hmm. of what those other coaches in the conference are paid and then he's talking about Levitt so he was 22 nationally right now in scoring defense out of 129 programs they were number 20 just two spots better last year they had eight players on that defense last year that are earning an NFL paycheck or got a chance in the NFL. You lost three defensive coaches. I get that they don't have a consistent pass rush right now defensively, but the Levitt situation is the least of my concerns right now. Well, we didn't have a consistent pass rush with Levitt until Jimmy Gilbert was a senior either, so I don't really know where we're coming up with this, oh, Jim Levitt was a pass rush specialist guy. I mean, our pass rush has been abysmal for each of the last 10 years, minus last year. And even then, if Jimmy Gilbert gets hurt, guess what? Our pass rush would have been abysmal. So I don't really know where we're going here. 
But let, let, let's play the blame game a little bit, Tyler. Where, where do you point the fingers at in terms of this team's struggles right now? They don't have as much experience. They don't have as much NFL talent. There's been a lot of mistakes. I mean, there's. I don't think there's really one thing necessarily that I – mean, we're three and two. We're not one and four. You know, like there's still plenty of time to make adjustments. They've lost to one team who's one of the best teams in the country, and, and they lost a game that was basically a coin flip. But so, you, have, you have an offense right now where you've got in, – in Jeremy Irwin said this week, there's 10 of 11 guys busting their butt on a given play and one guy that's screwing up, whether that's a receiver dropping a pass, an mm-hmm. offensive lineman whiffing on his block, Steven Montez missing a throw. And it's been happening for the better part of five games now. Yeah, I mean, I think – Is that going to be fixed? How do you fix that? Experience. I mean, it reminds you a lot of what this team looked like two and three years ago when we were playing a lot of younger guys who didn't have the receivers are as experienced as you could possibly get. Yeah, I mean, I think this was the first game, really, right, where we saw them not make the plays they were supposed to. So there are a couple crucial drops, obviously, in the Washington game as well, and it's not like they were they played well non-conference, but against the level of competition, I expected more out of those guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you would definitely like to have seen them be better. I think it's just part of getting into a rhythm with a new quarterback as well. I mean, I'm not blaming Montez. I think the wide receivers need to be better. There's no doubt about that. But I don't know. I think the offense, getting the offensive line squared away, I think that's the confidence issues come come from we're not going to be able to protect this guy, so what do we need to do? There's a lot of scramble drill. That's not a good way to win football games. If you're trying to make scramble plays every two or three plays, that's not a good way to move the ball down the field. I think they need to go to Fillmore. And they have been running the ball great, but usually as the game goes on, he starts pounding away at people and having success in the third and fourth quarters. I think they haven't given him the rock enough yet. The biggest head-scratcher for me, and I, and I don't you know, want to pick on just one player and say that, you know, because there's a lot of people that fall here on the offensive side, but Aaron Hagler played so well last year as a red freshman, being totally undersized. This year he's put on the weight, and it's natural weight. It's not like one of those guys that – can't naturally be 285, 300 pounds. And he just he – strugg- he's really struggled this year. He actually got benched late in that game out at UCLA. Isaac Miller takes over, plays 11 snaps at right tackle. Uh, that, that to me, is, is the biggest head-scratcher on the yeah. team. Yeah, I mean, we heard so much about his improvement. So to see him struggle the way he has has definitely been interesting. I mean, they didn't give up a sack last week, so they didn't look great. We'll say that for sure. But I thought it was improved. I mean, Montez had some time. He also Not did a nice first job. Half, but they, they seemed to get a little bit better as the game came Yeah, he, he's, he had some – I mean, there was more controlled running game from Montez as well. Like, they did some stuff that looked really natural. So, it, I mean, it wasn't great for sure, but I think it was a step in the right direction. Now, was that UCLA's defense being bad compared to some of the other teams we've seen? Maybe. We'll find out pretty quick here, but – yeah, I mean, I, I, you, I think you really need to get that offensive line squared away before anything else really falls into place. What was your take on the whole fake field goal controversy at the end of the first half? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how throwing it to the kick. Like, that's just, if you're going to run that play, it's got to be to an athlete. Um, you play soccer. I don't really hate it. You know, like, it's hard to fault a guy for trying to make a big momentum-changing play, but those are free points. We would have been down going into halftime by one point. I would have preferred to take the field goal, but, I mean, this offense has been struggling, and at some point you need to find a way to, you know, get them some free points. So I understand that part of it. The execution and the play design I wasn't really a huge fan of, but he said they saw something on film that they kept ducking inside there. So, I mean, maybe that's true. Well, Uh, on his first field goal attempt, number 42, the guy that made the play, he didn't move at all on that field goal attempt, so he wasn't baited in on that one. I don't know. Yeah. He certainly seemed to know that was coming the whole way, didn't he? Yeah. No, I mean, there was a 0% chance that play was working for sure. So that's frustrating. But, I mean, you're going to have to take some crazy changes at points throughout the season. Now, obviously, it looks a lot better if it works, and that wasn't a great play. But I don't, I don't hate the you know, effort to make a big-time momentum play before yeah. half. Well, one of the bright spots in that game was LaVisca Chenault Jr. He gained 25 yards on a reverse that was nullified by a flag and then also had a 42-yard reception, the second second longest catch of the season by a buff. It's so strange. He's not fast, but he's football fast. Right, I agree. Uh, both times, I've, I mean, that obviously the 
what is it, a punt return, I guess you would call it, from the first game, he was actually moving pretty well. I was like, wow, that's like, – we knew he wasn't the fastest guy in the world, but he was fast enough on that play. And then watching that UCLA play as well, same thing. Like, wow, he's moving down the field in a way that makes me think he – I already said he's an NFL guy. I think he has a chance to be a first or second round pick as time goes on. If, he, if, if that's how he's going to look when he gets comfortable, man, he's going to be really, really good. Should those starting receivers be here in his footsteps at this point? I hope so. Yeah. You know, uh, they got to play better for sure. I mean, I think Shea had five yards, right, in this game? Something like That's that. That's not acceptable. Like, we need more from Shea Fields. Uh, whatever the excuse may be for that happening, that just can't happen. You can't be our go-to guy and have five yards. It's just not, you know. So they got to find guys who are going to make plays. They got plenty of guys to run in and out at wide receiver. So the holding call on Bryce Bobo was pretty bad. That was pretty egregious. But yeah, and that change obviously flipped the game. We would have taken the lead there. Big momentum play. Who knows what could have happened? Uh, yeah, that's you know it goes both ways. I mean, obviously, CU got some benefits of calls in the CSU game. It kind of evens out, but that was that. I really believe Colorado probably wins a football game. If they get yeah. that go-ahead go ahead score. Evan Worthington with his second interception of the season. And he, at the Tuesday press launch, revealed there were a couple fights during practice on Tuesday. Do you like or like that, or does it concern you? I love it. Got it. What if it is offense-defense finger-pointing? I mean, I, we don't know that that's the case. Uh, again, to- yes, totally speculate. I, don't I, know. I, would, I just think people are frustrated because they're losing. That's how I'm going to read into it that that's how it should be they should be frustrated because they're losing they need they sometimes you know if someone's in what if it was in practice and a guy's not working as hard as he needs to be and a leader took it took care of that i think some that is exactly what you need so um i'm not going to look at it negatively because i have no reason to at this point i don't think Trey Udofia was injured in late in the first half of that game against ucla it sounds like an ankle injury it sounds like he will be back at some point but They've gotten into that mode of not really releasing a lot of in- injury information. Dante Wigley performed pretty well, held his own in there against uh, one of the elite quarterbacks in college football. Yeah, I mean, I was at Blake Street, so I wasn't literally able to watch every single play, and I haven't watched the replay yet. But from what I saw, he got beat inside a lot on some slants early, but not a ton of big mistakes. Looked like he was right there with the guys a few times. Um, you know, a couple of Josh Rosen beautiful throws that you're just not defending. So, yeah, I mean, it was nice to see him come in and step up. But it didn't look like they really were able to go straight after him or anything. we got a few more questions about the UCLA game in our mailbag that we'll get into. But uh, for this segment, let's kind of shift focus over to Arizona. They come to Boulder on family weekend. I believe it's a 6 p.m. kickoff on mm-hmm. Saturday. Yeah. Uh, Arizona's a little bit better than we thought they were going to be this year. Yeah, I mean, I think they could be for sure. I mean, it, They've looked better in conference play than I thought they were going to so far. They've only played one game. It's a home game. I still don't love Utah, despite them being undefeated. So uh, I think we'll find out pretty quick. But I thought Arizona State was the worst team in the division before the year. I still feel that way. Um, Arizona has a chance to sneak into a bowl. So they're not terrible. I think we've learned the Pac-12 maybe isn't quite as good as we thought this year. But the there's a lot of depth. I mean, there's not really there's not a ton outside of Oregon State. I wouldn't say any of the teams are bad. So that's been kind of interesting to watch. We've been really impressed with Drew Lewis. I think he's the key player in this football game. We heard at times during camp that he might sometimes get out of position, but because of his athleticism, he could make up for it. We've seen that early this season. But Arizona is a different animal. If you're out of position against that zone read option, you could be in a in a world of trouble. Yeah, I think it's nice, though, that we do have that second line of defense. Worthington and Laguda are both pretty good in run support as well. Uh, have a little bit better speed than we've had back there in years past, which helps a little bit. Drew Lewis obviously gives us some of that speed that we haven't had at linebacker as well. Uh, you know, Rick Amboa being out of position, the play's over. You know, Drew Lewis, Evan Worthington, they can, make, they can get back into plays. You know, sometimes there's... You know, if you can stop a guy, I mean, like, perfect example, I know this is a bad opponent, obviously, but that first play of the um, Texas State game, out of position, gets tackled before he gets into the end zone, though, ends up, the CU gives up zero points. Sometimes it's those plays that change the trajectory of a game. I mean, if you can stop a guy before he gets to the end zone, maybe give up three points instead of seven, that's that's huge. So, 
Uh, we'll see how it plays out. I think the linebackers have been really, really good for us so far. It's going to be a big game for the D linemen for sure. You surprised? I know CU's lost two games back to back, but are you surprised they're not favored by more than six and a half? In this I game? am, yeah, definitely. I am. Uh, I think Arizona has, you know, they've been better than people thought so far, which has helped their perception. I think. I think Colorado's perception is a little bit down right now. I mean, we covered last week. You know, we lost the game, but you know, so they're. It's not like we're completely below expectation right now. I don't think. Um, but, yeah, I am surprised. Colorado's usually pretty good at home. They usually do a pretty good job of putting inferior teams away at home in the last few years. So um, I would be surprised to see us not cover this game. I really would. I, I already put a bet on it. So that doesn't happen for me very often. Okay. We're going to talk more about Arizona and that game, give our predictions and our video preview. Check that out on buffstampede.com on Friday night. I had a chance to talk with the largest human being on the Colorado football team, Earlier this week, nose tackle Javier Edwards. Javier, what did it feel like getting that first sack at the the Pac-12 level? Oh, it felt great. You know, it's a it's a it's a major confidence booster. Now, now I can know I can do this. I can play at this level, and, and sky's the limit. Keep rolling. Now you're in a blue collar role. Mm-hmm. Th- those sacks aren't going to come off. And are you okay with that? Have you kind of embraced what it's like to be a nose tackle in this scheme? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. At first, it was kind of tough because you know I'm so used to, you know, we played a four three defense at Blend, so I'm used to making plays. And then, and now I know all right, my job is to help everyone else, and that, 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 that which that job fits my personality. Is helping everyone, so I embrace that. Do you get to then in kind of enjoy seeing Drew Lewis and Rick Ambo and make plays almost as if oh, yeah. kind of knowing that you're a big part of that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. What has it been like uh, coming here, getting used to altitude? And I know you were trying to lose a lot of weight. What, what is it? Did you reach your goals coming into camp? But what was this whole experience like adapting here? Huh. The plan, like I said, I came in like 390 almost. And the plan was just get as much off as possible. And, you know, I feel like I reached that goal. And uh, I, I, I would say I haven't fully reached my goal yet. The goal is still to get off as much as possible. I still got some more to go. And, you know, yeah. What uh, What did you start the season at weight-wise, and what is that ultimate goal for you? I started the season at 350. And I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to play around 350, 345, somewhere between there. And now mid-season, I'm like 347 now. 346. That's a pretty sizable weight loss. How much quicker on your feet do you feel as a result of that? Is conditioning a, a whole world better because of that lo- that weight loss? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm much quicker. You know, I'm, I'm more in shape. I can play four quarters now instead of one and a half. You know, so it's, it's, it's a lot. I feel a lot better. How would you assess your play through these first five games here at CU? Well, it, it was okay. It could be better. It could be a lot better. What are some of the areas which you feel can really help you make that next jump as a player? Um, I think that is, is keeping my pad level up. That, that, that's, what, that's what I struggle with that uh, pad level. And, and so far the past few games, it's getting better and better each week. So can't wait to see this week. I would imagine before at the junior college level, maybe at high school as well, was it just you could kind of dominate with your size and at this level it comes down to technique be, being the difference in those one-on-one battles? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, in junior college, you know, it's not as maybe two, three coaches total, four at the most, and there's not enough coaching to go around, so you just got to play with what God blessed you with. So that's on offense and defense. Everybody's just playing with what you got. We've kind of had an abnormal cold fall here in Colorado. How are you adjusting to, to life outside of football here? Oh, it's, it's actually a fall because in Houston it's still almost 90 degrees, yeah. and it's, it's hot, but... Out here, I, I walked outside this morning. It was, it was cold. I was like, man, that's it's cold. <laughs> Anything that, that you've enjoyed about Colorado, about Boulder, being a student, student athlete here at CU? Um, I, I like the weather. It's not as humid as as uh, in Houston, and like it just it just feels much better. Now you've been trying to lose weight, but have you developed some favorite food spots here in Colorado? Um, no, nah, not really. There's no place like home. Okay. That good old food down south is good. When you go back home over break, what's going to be the first thing that you request food-wise? That's a good question. 
I might go get some water burger. Okay. I honestly don't know yet. All right. And uh, guys have mentioned you as a guy that, that lifts their mood in the locker room as one of the funniest guys on this team. Um, is that something you've always enjoyed doing is just kind of bringing levity to, to any situation? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's something I love doing. I love making people smile. I love making people happy. Is there a nickname that, that stuck with you? Um, everybody just called me Javi. Do you, do you have a nickname that, that you would prefer? Oh, yeah, Papi Chulo. T- tell me about that. What, what's the origin of that? Uh, it, it's me and Pimp Daddy. That's, that's my name. <laughs> I'm trying to force it, but uh, ain't nobody been calling me that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Javier. Appreciate it. Well, there you have it. Javier Edwards wants to be known as Papi Chulo, Pimp Daddy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that one's going to catch it, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. He's, uh, what was it? We had uh, that nickname segment before the season. I loved Mount Edwards. You had one from, what was it? Oh, man. The oh, snack or something like that? Yeah, big snack. <laughs> big big snack. snack. Which somebody already has in the NFL, which is what made me think of it. But, yeah. The players, I think, could be, I've heard them refer to him as Big Hav. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's funny, man. He's, he's a character for sure. And I actually thought he played fairly well last week from what I saw. Yeah, it's, it's, it, the expectations for him being such a large human being were pretty high. He's a Juco transfer. Sometimes it takes a little while for those yeah. guys to, to get acclimated. Before we jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag, I want to remind you that this week's show is brought to you by Gorman Recruiting. Specializing in unique needs of small and medium businesses, Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you are hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at GormanRecruiting.com. You go to BuffStampede.com for your football recruiting news, basketball recruiting as well. You go to Gorman Recruiting for your uh, small business needs. All right, let's jump into the mailbag here. Andrew S. Buff asked, five games into the season, how would you guys rank the units as they are playing now, from best to worst based on game day performance period, not expectations? Andrew laid out his rankings, and I purposely didn't look at them because I didn't want it to influence my thinking. Um, should we run down this together, and then you tell me if you, you strongly disagree with any of this? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Number one, kicking unit, Stefano, 10 of 11 on field goals, 13 of 13 on extra points. It's hard to blame him on the field fake attempt. I mean, the guy was right there the whole time. Oh, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, he should have caught the ball. Like, Who cares? He's going to get smoked. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you want him to catch the ball in that yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Number two, I thought secondary. They've only allowed five passing touchdowns through the air, and this defensive backfield has six interceptions. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, you have the first two would have been the exact same for me. Uh, three of those five touchdowns are against Northern Colorado as well. So uh, the secondary has been really stout. Obviously, I think Isaiah Oliver is our best player. I got in a huge fight with a guy on Twitter prior to the year talking about he was our 12th best um, prospect. He's already a first-round pick in Mel Kuyper's mock draft. I'll take the W on that one. Thank you very much. <laughs> Number three, I said inside linebackers. Between them, Rick Gamboa and Drew Lewis are averaging more than 20 tackles per game. you have any issue with that? Nope. I would, that's exactly where I would have third, too. Uh, number four, I said running back, Philip Lindsay, averaging 5.04 yards per carry. It's pretty comparable. Last year, he was 5.17, so just a tick below that. Uh, of course, the uncharacteristic drop in the Washington game, that, that hurt. But And we haven't seen the, the backups produced the way that we expected. Um, that would be the negative there. But Philip Lindsay's Philip Lindsay. Yeah, I would also include Montez's running capabilities. And I, w- I was going to say the running game, I guess. Okay. Um, so I think Montez has been pleasantly surprising there as well, not just on scramble plays, but a lot of the design run stuff we saw with Cepho has started to come back, and he has looked really comfortable there. Um, done a really nice job. So, yeah, I would like to see Phil get more involved. I think Montez, again, in situational spots, is going to have to be used there as well. And I, I've liked what we've seen the last couple games out of those guys. And I put, actually, number five, transitioning well into this, I did put Steven Montez, quarterback play. And I maybe graded on a little bit of a curve because he's a sophomore and the receivers are a group of seniors. So I put Montez ahead partly because of that. Uh, his 137.2 passer rating is a better than Lou Fowles' 134 last year, um, and that he's almost averaging as many yards rushing per game as Lou Fowles, to, to your previous point there. Yeah, I actually went back and forth between Montez and the D-line here. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the D-line has some stuff to work on, but I think that you know the people were really concerned about them going into the year, and for the most part they've exceeded most people's expectations. Um, it would have liked, would have been nice to have a little more depth there for sure. And, you know, Montez, I think his been fairly 
um, competent for the most part. You know, young mistakes here and there, a couple bad throws, but he's had a couple of interceptions that definitely weren't his fault too. Um, and last week was his best game of the year, so I think he's probably trending up more than anybody else right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of torn between the receivers and D-line for, for six and seven. Receivers, they're, they're struggling with drops recently. They lack a true go-to option there, but they've still had their moments. Fields, Bobo, and Ross all have 11 or more catches of 10-plus yards, so they've made plays. It just It's kind of overshadowed sometimes by the mistakes that they've had there. Uh, you, you had D-line a little higher. I put them seven on my list. Yeah, they got pushed around late against Washington, but that hasn't been the reason CU's been losing games. Um, next on my list was punter slash punt unit. Kenny's improved, uh, but CU still ranks eighth in the conference in punting, so it's not like they're killing it there. The block punt in the Washington game was a killer. You have an issue with that? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that blocked punt is the reason they rank eighth. I'd be curious to see what the other punts would have measured in at had they had they gotten off. Um I think he's been pretty good, honestly. Uh, I have no issues with the, what they've done so far. I mean, if you get blown up in blocking side, <laughs> I, I don't think Todd's has been back out there, at least not that I've noticed since then. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Kenny has done what he's needed to do outside of that blocked punt, which I give him zero fault for that. I had outside linebacker at number nine. We've seen some flashes from Callier. McCartney's gotten back there. He's got two sacks, but just not enough consistent pass rush from that group. And to your earlier point, Gilbert set the bar so high for that group. Right, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not really disappointed by their play, honestly, at this point either. Um, McCartney is so smart. I mean, he's – I forget which game it was now. The Washington game, I think it was, where they tried to run that screen, and he was just sitting right there. The running back they had to throw it into the ground in a key part of the game in the first half. He's done that twice now this year. Not a lot of guys see that developing, so he's a really key port, uh, part of what we do. I'd like to see Kalia get out there a little bit more, but yeah, we just don't have the personnel, I don't think, to make a huge impact there. I had the tight ends group ranked next. It's a hard group to rank. I'm not sitting down there dissecting how each of those guys have blocked on every play. Uh, Chris Bounds, just one catch for six yards. It's similar to what it was last year in mm-hmm. terms of just not really a key part of the passing game. Yeah, it's kind of just a lost position in this offense. Um, I don't at some point, you think they're going to have to try to do something creative there just to keep it in defensive coordinators' minds. And last on the list was the offensive line. They've been penalized 15 times through five games. I went back last year and looked. In 13 games, they got penalized 23 times. So they're, they might potentially reach that number midway through the season this year. And then they've been charged with 10.5 sacks. Uh, the offensive line has through five games. They had just 14.5 all of last season. Yeah, pretty wild. I don't really know how to describe the struggles because a lot of these guys are back and should be improved and we just haven't seen it. 6635 Bam had this to say, I assume that everybody agrees the offense has been a letdown based on the expectations coming into the season. Between poor line play, ineffectiveness of the wide receivers, inexperienced slash inconsistent play by Montez, and uninspired offensive scheme slash play calling as factors, which do you feel is the most impactful do you agree that we should be disappointed in all of these aspects of the offense? Yeah, I think you have to kind of allocate the blame out along each of those areas. Yeah, I mean, those are all – I mean, I expected the wide receiver – I thought we were overrated there to start the year. I said we didn't have a go-to guy. I was concerned about that, honestly, going forward. It's been a little bit worse than I expected, but honestly, not a ton. I, I, was, I was honestly legitimately concerned about the day-to-day capabilities of that wide receiver core coming – you know. There has to be designed roles in what you do, and there's they're all too similar to me. So I, I was concerned about that going into the year. So it's disappointing because it's come true, but I'm not the most surprised by that. The one I am the most surprised by is the offensive line. I didn't see that coming at all. Um, the Montez one, it's a part of why we're struggling, but I fully 100% expected that, and I think most people did as well. So hard to really blame that one. And then the fourth one, I am spacing. Play calling, scheme. Yeah, again, if, you're, if your offensive line is struggling and you can't trust them um, from play to play, it's hard to really get into a rhythm. So and if you're dropping touchdown passes. Right, I mean, right. Yeah, that's a pretty good play call that just didn't – the play didn't get – you know, you got to finish the play. So I, I – have been frustrated at times with the play calling for sure. I don't think they're doing the right things with Phil Lindsay. Keep trying to bring him right up the gut when our three guys who have been struggling are all right there. Uh, he seems to have had a lot more success being outside. Uh, I'd like to see that happen a little bit more. Um, 
But yeah, I think by and large, the one that's really killing all the others in some aspect as well is the offensive line. We have another question about the O-line here. Oli Buff asked, any thoughts on the development of the offensive line and whether or not Adams is adequate for his job? I do like his recruiting chops, but starting to wonder about the development of the O-line. So I think if you like his recruiting chops, you got to give him more time before you start really analyzing this stuff because the group he inherited was not the group that he's recruited. When you look at the Will Shermans, Grant Pauly's, Jake Moretti's that uh, you've beaten out top-notch other college football programs for, to me, the jury, you have to give Clayton Adams at least two more years Mm -hmm. before you start really forming solid impressions there. Uh, Washington almost hired him away. It's not like... He's not coveted by other programs out there. Right. No, I agree 100%. Um, he doesn't have NFL talent on the offensive line. In the Pac-12, that's tough because you have a lot of NFL defensive line talent, and there's a lot of Pac-12 offensive line talent on other teams as well. Um, so he'll get there, I think. Um, you know, There's some up-and-coming guys that I think have a chance to do that for sure. But it's disappointing because I thought this team was going to be better on the offensive line for sure, but – at the end of the day, we need to improve the talent there first and foremost. And I think a lot of why the criticism is coming down on Adams is because he's got four of the five starters back, and they were a pretty solid group last year. That's the head-scratching part that people are having a hard time putting their finger on. Certainly, Irwin being suspended for two games didn't help. Um, Huckins being banged up a little bit didn't help. Hagler for who knows why. I mean, I don't think there's a coach on that staff knows why he took the step back that he did. That doesn't make sense. Um, I think that I think that's why people are criticizing it. But again, I think you got to give it more time. Buff predictor asked, "Is it time to admit that maybe the lack of production by the receivers is not entirely the fault of Montez? I don't see him giving, I don't see them giving him much help on scramble plays. Is some of this due to how hard Montez throws?" I think in those scramble plays, they're trying to... I mean, we've seen some really good plays in those situations. Yeah, I mean, a couple of their touchdowns are on scramble plays, so that's not really how I see it. I also don't see everybody blaming Montez for the issues right now. There's a lot of people blaming the wide receivers, and I think that's, you know, warranted. Um, Yeah, I think it's just a consistency thing, and those guys don't know every single week what they're going to get. I mean, Sheffield should never have five yards. But at the same time, he needs to step up and be the guy they go to. Like, who do you go to on third down in this offense? Is there one guy you could point to? It probably should be Bryce Bobo and Jay McIntyre, in my opinion. Um, but it doesn't seem like consistently that's what's happening. It, it, sometimes it's just tough to expect guys to go out there when they don't know what they're supposed to be doing from play to play. And I think this it's a super deep group that doesn't really know what their role is. Yeah. Nippus13 asked, your take on the late hit by... Lastly, on Laguda, and if you could make the rules up on the spot, what would your decision be? 15-yard penalty only, penalty and ejection. If ejected, if ejected, how long and how many games? It was a pretty Bush League hit. Yeah, I actually haven't seen it yet, so I can't say for sure. Based on what people have been telling me, though, I mean, if, you're, if there's a guy standing around the pile and you go low on him after the play, you're done. For me, I, I think that's pretty simple. That's about as dirty as it gets. It's dirty enough going at somebody's knees while in the play. I mean, but there's a lot of moving parts there, right? So there's some excuse behind it, and you're just trying to make a play. You're just trying to be a dirty scumbag if you're going at somebody's knees after a play is over. I think you just follow along with the targeting rules. You get 15-yard penalty, you're ejected. If it occurs in the second half, you miss the first half the next week. I think, it's worse, I think that's worse than most of the targeting stuff. That targeting stuff is... Live action, people are ducking, stuff happens. Like most, unless it's an egregious targeting penalty, I don't think you should be ejected. Honestly, I think they need to change that rule. Going after somebody who's standing next to a pile after a play is way more dirty than any targeting hit. They had the issues with UCLA last year—a really ugly game in Boulder. UCLA roughs up the locker room, leaves it in horrible shape. Uh, earlier last season, remember Gabe Marks had a, a whole commentary about how they're basically fake tough guys at UCLA. They've Kind of developed this reputation. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like UCLA much for sure. Now, lastly, I did say I saw in the post game he said he didn't hear the whistle. I don't know if I'm buying that, but he said I apologize to number one. I thought the play was still ongoing. I don't know. I have a hard time believing that. But you Guys just stand around on defense often. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and watch this. This looks fun. <laughs> All right, moving along. Taser94 asked, 
what are the major recruiting needs for the football team for this class and the next class? So if you haven't been paying attention, they've pretty much filled up most of the skill positions. It's D-line recruiting and safety at this point. Right. And safety is even going to be a big deal next cycle. And randomly, I haven't done the breakdown of next year all that much, but I know they're going to need to take a punter next year as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows if that's a scholarship guy. Seems like depends on where you are as a program, right? Like the as you're up and coming, most of the time you need to take a scholarship to get somebody that you really want. Most of those big time programs they'll get the studs and don't even have to put them on scholarship. So we'll see how that plays out. I hate putting someone like Chris Graham, who at the time right. was a kickoff specialist on scholarship, but I'm a I am a big fan of if you can get the number one, one, two, or three punter recruiting the country, put them on scholarship, then you don't have to worry about that position. I hate when you play games with trying to bring walk-ons there. Yeah. Wyndon Buff asked, thoughts on the current state of the Pac-12 network with its regional feed model, and if you think they'll have to make a change at some point to stay competitive. I heard those regional feeds with some of their, their broadcasts, they get a zero rating. It's a joke. Uh, it's really as simple as that. What I think the Pac-12 network is just hoping at this point is people continue to cut the cord and they can lock on with the Sling TVs of the world and all of a sudden, maybe 15, 20 years from now, that doesn't matter. Right, but it's just crazy to me that you can only watch one game at one time. Like, why do we have Pac-12 network if I, it happens at Blake Street all the time? When two games are on at once, I only have one game to choose from and then one of the other games people want to watch and I can't. Like, why do we have multiple channels that as a sports bar, we spend all this money we don't even have access to. It's just insane. Like, if I, if I, why do we have the Pac-12 network if I can't watch a Pac-12 team play football on your network? That's just stupid. Yeah. The regional model was definitely a mistake. You're spending all this money to travel these crews around to cover. And I don't I, – I hate to, like, sound snobbish towards these Olympic sports, but when you're getting a zero rating and you're sending these crews out there, that's cutting into the budget a lot. Yeah. Elrod asked, will the Pac-12 cannibalize itself out of the college football playoff? It's starting to look like that. I haven't really looked at every conference from that aspect. Have you? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) the problem is there aren't very many good teams this year. So I think a lot of conferences are going to cannibalize each other. I mean, Big 12, between Oklahoma State, TCU, and Oklahoma, obviously, who's probably the best right now. they're going to beat up on each other a little bit, and none of them, the TCU has already beaten Oklahoma State. Um, The ACC, it looks like Clemson is far and away the best there. So I think they're kind of in a similar spot to Washington in the Pac-12 right now. I mean, someone's going to have to beat Washington, and do you see that happening right now? Probably not. Um, I mean, the Big Ten, I don't think anybody's good enough, honestly, to make the game this year, if I had to guess. I mean, Penn State's the highest ranked in – they probably they won on the last play of the game already this year. So there isn't a ton. I mean, I think there's really only six or seven teams that even have a shot to get there. It is my biggest criticism of the nine-game conference schedule is you set yourself up to – Right. That's an extra week where you can have that – You to his point, you can cannibalize yourself. J.G. Buffs asked, who do you think are going to be some of the hot names for Power 5 teams to hire as new coaches in the offseason? Hadn't put a whole lot of thought into it, but – Scott Frost is going to be a name. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think he's probably the number one guy right now. Um, you you know, hear Mike Norvell's name from Memphis come up a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not 100% sold on that one, I don't think, right now. I think Charlie Strong is going to get back pretty quick, too. Think so? Yeah, if I had to guess. Uh, man, who else is out there right now that I really have been keeping an eye on? Well, obviously, Chip Kelly. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I'm good there, I think. But I don't know, dude. It's it, You never know how it plays out. It's too early in the year. All right, Tyler. It's time. Let's update those Pac-12 power rankings. Yes, Pac-12 power rankings. The best. A lot of movement, I feel like. The <laughs> conference is beating each other up a little bit. I don't remember what it was last week, but Oregon State, 12. I don't really need to dive too much into that one. They are a plus 30. They, they open at a plus 35. Uh, at USC this week, which seems crazy because USC is real beat up, and I think they're just going to try to get out of that game as healthy yeah. as possible. So that was that's probably my favorite bet of the week right now, honestly. Okay. Um, I have Arizona at 11. This We were talking earlier. This is a lot deeper conference, and I thought it, I had a lot of trouble with the teams from 11 moving forward. Um, honestly, you could have put Colorado there as, as a 
I mean, there's not a whole lot of other place to go. So I think they've been better than people think. They just haven't done much in conference play. They've only played one game and they lost. So it's hard to really put anything else above it. Um, there's only a few teams that don't have a win in conference right now, Colorado, Colorado being one of them. So um, Cal doesn't have one either, but their non-conference was so above expectation, it's hard to put them too much farther down. I have them at 10 right now. They haven't looked great. Colorado at 10? No, no, I have California Cal- at 10. Okay. Um, they did not look great last week against Oregon, who's coming off a loss to Arizona State. So it would have been interesting to see how them they came up there. I have Arizona State next at 9. Uh, they had the good win at Oregon. They actually played pretty well, I thought, in Stanford as well. They just haven't. Overall, they've been pretty unimpressive, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I have Colorado next. Again, I could have put them in any of the four previous or three previous spots, and I think could have made an argument for it. Uh, I just think people are a little too low on them right now. Uh, I think they'll bounce back and have a good week this week. I have UCLA just ahead of them. Uh, again, I think people are a little bit low on them right now. They've had a lot of close games. Defensively, they've struggled for sure, uh, but they've lost two road games. I think they'll you know, be pretty solid in the Pac-12 South. I expect them to finish in the top three there. Um, Oregon, I have, what is that now, six. They looked really good this week against Cal. They did bounce back after a rough performance against Arizona State. Overall, offensively, they've been pretty impressive. Defensively, they're improving. Um, they've got Washington State this week. That's going to be a big one for them uh, to see where we – to see that pack. Any idea North when that game t- uh, kicks off? I don't know. I would assume it's a night game. Okay. Um, but they're an underdog at home. So that's interesting to see there. Uh, Stanford, I have at number five. I think they've bounced back a little bit from a rough early season. They smoked um, UCLA down the stretch two weeks ago. Arizona State, that game was closer than I think people thought maybe, but never really out of reach for Stanford. They, they had it pretty comfortably on lock most of the way through there. Um, Utah I have at four. They're undefeated. They haven't really beaten anybody or done anything ultra impressive to me. I mean, you look at their schedule, there's a lot of bad football teams on it so far this year. Uh, so they have a lot to prove. They've got UC, or, uh, USC coming up here pretty soon. That'll be a huge game for them moving forward. Now, my view USC at three. Obviously, a ton of injuries. They played horribly. Still had a chance to win the game at Washington State. Um, they got to get healthy, though, or they're going to start falling in the opposite direction here pretty quick. Got to put Washington State at number two right now, still undefeated. Uh, I didn't really love the way they played in that game against USC, honestly, but they've won. They've won a couple close ones that I thought they played poorly in, but overall, a lot of t- a lot of leadership, and they're 5-0. and They played all those games at home, so they finished with 5-7 on the road. That'll be interesting to watch as we go down the stretch. And then I think the clear-cut number one, obviously, at this point is Washington. I looked it up. The Oregon-Washington State game kicks off the same time as the CU-Arizona game, 6 p.m. on Saturday. It's too bad. I would have liked to record that all my attention. Yeah. All right. Before we sign off, Tyler, let's talk a little basketball. The Buffs began their preseason preparation this past weekend, beginning the practices. Basically, a little more than a month break between their return from Italy to starting up with camp, which is good because I don't think if you go – like three months, you probably lose some of what you gained during those summer practices. But I think in a month, especially given that those guys are still on campus working out. Yeah, it uh, seems like they spent a lot of time together too. So Yeah. So Lazar Nikolic is finally on campus. We saw him after Monday's practice shooting around big body. Uh, but he's obviously behind the eight ball. The NCAA took forever to clear him. Uh, I know Tad Boyle was really frustrated with that. He mentioned that he's going to have to learn to play with a little bit better leverage at that being a taller guard. People are going to get underneath him. Um, it's hard to have really strong impressions after watching. I was there about an hour. Um, but Tad Will says that this team has better communication on the court already than last year's team. That's big. I mean, that's probably the most underrated aspect of basketball, honestly, because it's such a smaller floor. you got to really know where everybody is. The spacing is such a huge part of the game. I mean, even average talented teams, if they have proper spacing and know where they need to be on the court, can be really successful. It's a big part of basketball. So that's nice. I mean, what's especially nice about it is they already have this communication, this continuity, and a lot of these kids are going to be playing together for four years. So I think three or four years down the line, we could be looking at a pretty good basketball team. 
It was encouraging. The freshmen were staying after practice to get shots in, and you could hear them ask for updates on the time because a lot of those guys have a class at 11. They were trying to get in as much work as they could. Uh, that's encouraging. You, you heard the players and coaches joking around with each other a lot after practice, which was good. They brought back the Navy SEALs train, basically an eight-hour session with those guys. Uh, they hadn't done it the previous two years. How, how big a deal, if, if any, is that? I mean, eight hours is tough to really say that there's a huge impact. I know some person was on the board was just like, this is the reason they've been bad the last few years. That seems a little <laughs> aggressive to me. Um, you know, it's a mindset thing. You can look back at that when things get tough for sure, but I don't think it overly changes a person in eight, eight hours. Like, if you're doing that for an entire summer, you might see somebody make some huge improvements one way or the other. But, yeah, I mean, eight hours is just kind of like a – I think it's more – it just serves as a memory, and, you know, when things are hard, you can look back to it. Well, we're going to get you up to some preseason practices, Tyler, and yeah, we'll to. kind of revisit what your impressions are after doing that. I guess I'd say what, before attending some preseason practices, what are your expectations for the squad? And also, when you go to those practices, are there certain things you really want to key on? Yeah, I mean, I, that communication aspect, how much do these guys really love each other? Um, those are obviously big. I want to see how we shoot the ball. I think that's a thing that we've had issues with in the past that needs to get better. Uh, defensively uh, as well, not as good of a year last year as we're expected to see from Tad Boyle program. So I think we need more effort on that end for sure. Um, my expectations are basically that I expect this to be about 500 and we're going to have some games where we look like freshmen and we're going to have some games where they're a ton of fun to watch. But I think even though we're probably, we might even be slightly worse than last year or pretty similar. I think the fans are going to have a much better experience this time around though, because of the expectations yeah. and just watching kind of a new crop of guys come in and learn on the, fly. I mean, I think people, especially early in last year, had a ton of fun watching the freshmen develop last year. And, uh, you know, they're going to get to do that again. And I think last year, especially with having a guy as talented as Derek White, it was really frustrating to watch everybody else kind of struggle around him. Last preseason, I did a story that Bryce Peters was destined to be a fan favorite. Obviously would go back and probably not do that <laughs> in that article because he certainly had all kinds of issues off the court and, and didn't stick around. I did my first interview this year was with Evan Batty, and he already is a fan favorite. I mean, his personality is just infectious. I hope you guys check out that interview with him. Always has a smile on his face, and he's lost a lot of weight, even despite having that ankle injury uh, since being on campus. Uh, of those freshmen, who, who are you looking forward to seeing the most? Definitely McKinley Wright. Uh, just based on what we've heard, he has a chance to be kind of the face of this program moving forward. That's obviously a guy you're going to key in on. Uh, watching Evan Batty is going to be a lot of fun for me. Uh, big body who does a, plays basketball not the way you'd expect, given what he looks like. So I think that's always a lot of fun. But me personally, like my style of basketball player that I know I'm just going to fall in love with is Tyler Bay. Uh, same with Andre. Very similar mold. I was in love with him from the beginning. And that's just what I like to see in a 3 and D type defender. I think he's going to be my favorite. All right, we're going to talk a lot more basketball, but again, we just kind of got to ease our way into that. Thanks for tuning in to Buff Stampede Radio. Again, it was brought to you today by Gorman Recruiting, specializing in the unique needs of a small business and medium businesses as well. Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at www.gormanrecruiting.com. We're going to talk to you again next week. Be sure to stay tuned to Buff Stampede for comprehensive CU football, basketball, and recruiting coverage.